Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks, and I'm here with my co-host, Zakia Shaw. How you doing, Zakias? I'm doing good today, my friend. And my friend. Yes, yes. Sir. Appreciate you today. Earlier, Daquan was a great friend and helped me pick up some equipment from the repair store i, I did say. i did the invoice will be coming in the mail yeah it pays to have friends with trucks i'll tell you what but no i'm doing good man my son is uh growing a lot he's doing really well he's still in the nicu but mm. he's progressing every day and you know when this airs it won't be a week before thanksgiving obviously but mm-hmm. i'm excited for the holidays and just to be around family and kind of take a break a little bit, you know, and get a little reset. Um, I know yeah. we all need it, but yeah, how have you been? I've been great, man. I've been great. Again, congratulations to you. You've announced your baby's name, correct? Yeah. Yep. You have? Okay, perfect. So Xavier looks exactly like Zaire. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Like these, their mama's jeans, seriously, <laughs> seriously. I, swear. I know a little birdie told me that, uh, <laughs> For them to have more of your male qualities and whatnot and attributes, you yeah. need to stress them out while they're while they're pregnant, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that's what I was told. I yeah, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. just what I heard. That's right, I, I, I said a little birdie. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna take the you know the advice or anything like that. It's been great, man. It's it's beautiful. We yeah. usually don't see this kind of weather in Sioux Falls, especially this late into the year. Man. It's crazy. I'm loving it. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. All right. Let's get into this. So we got another special guest today. Somebody I really recently met within the last few months, but super glad that we got to meet and have been kind of collaborating ever since. Coming from the South, grew up in Tennessee. Uh, She's the assistant director at Augustana University Mm -hmm. for diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We have the great Tyra Hawkins on the welcome, podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Thank you for welcome. coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Excited. Absolutely. Yeah. What um I gotta ask you, just to get it started, coming from the South, like how did you like why South Dakota? If only I knew. Like every time somebody asks me that, <laughs> I always say God, because like yeah. I don't know, like so at the time that um, my current supervisor, Willette, reached out to me about working at Augustana, I was um, in grad school and I was looking for opportunities to work. I had applied to like 14 different positions, probably more than that. I think I actually only interviewed for 14 positions, but wow. I applied for way more. Um, and it just so happened she reached out at a time to where I was kind of like, whatever comes my way, I'll at least, you know, kind of take that opportunity. And so I interviewed with her. Um, interviewed again with another group of people um, at Augie, and then they brought me down the third time to 
visit South Dakota and kind of see what everything was like. Yeah. And it wasn't bad. And it kind of got to the point to where I was down to like two positions out of the 14 that I interviewed for. Yeah. And Augie reached out to me first. Um, okay. and so that's kind of how I got here. Did she have you come like in the summer? No, it's so funny. <laughs> so funny thing. I came in April, but mm. I came the day that I came, they said it was the first time that the sun had came out in like weeks. Oh, <laughs> man. I think y'all had just had like a, tornado or something i don't know mm -hmm. what happened Probably. but the Seriously. weather the weather was good when i was here and so yes i definitely felt bamboozled when i came back to right, here. <laughs> right. that is crazy because how long have you been here in south dakota then um so it's been a little over a year i moved okay. to south dakota in june of 2022 okay so, yeah. mm -hmm. so you got to experience it the, the worst, winter. Yes, the worst oh, yeah. winter in history, they yeah, said. Oh, my God. It was bad. No, I'm still shook. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm scared of this winter because of last winter. But I don't know. Because the sun is still out, I'm kind of thinking that this winter might be a little. Yeah, my And there's always, I mean, like I said, like, in everything, you always have to have that vision. Like, speak this stuff into existence, <laughs> yeah, you guys. I ain't speaking like, that there's, into existence. Last right. Year. I haven't been saying the S word for a long time, you know, just because I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't want any of that stuff. Yeah, you know. But yes, no, that's that's great. I'm glad that you came to Sioux Falls and, and you're acquainted with South Dakota here. Um, I do kind of want to jump in, you know, on more of your background because coming from Tennessee, um, that's a whole different playing field there, mm -hmm. you know. So I just want to know exactly how you grew up, you know, what kind of inspires you, you know, what brought yeah. to you to here to this, you know, lead us up to that. So I was born in South Carolina, actually. Um, my mom and dad were both in the military. So we kind of moved around a little bit. When my parents separated, though, my mom, my younger sister, and I all moved to Memphis, Tennessee, Tennessee to stay with a family friend. How old are you? Um, you know, I, mean. I was like eight okay. at that point. Yeah. Okay. And then a couple years after that, we moved to Jackson, Tennessee, which is where my mom was born and raised and where all of my family is from her side. Um, and we pretty much stayed there up until the point that I went to college. Um, and during that time, we were in church a lot. <laughs> um, my, From what I understand, my great-grandma was deep in the church. Um, and so my, she raised my grandma to be deep in the church. And my grandma raised my mom to be deep in the church. And so we grew up kind of the same way. Yeah. Um, up until the point that like we were almost at church every single day. <laughs> on the usher board, in the choir, helping out with events and things like that. And I think just that helper spirit kind of like came over me to the sense that like I grew up always wanting to like help people too. Mm -hmm. Um in school, I was involved in pretty much everything. Um, I was in color guard. I was on prom decorating committee. I was senior class president. Like, wow. pretty much anything that I could um, do to help other people or to kind of just be involved, I mm -hmm. pretty much did. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that kind of helped with that was being involved in a program called 4-H. I don't know if y'all are familiar. No, um, I'm not. They're kind of all over the country, but... Um, it's based in agriculture, but you do different projects um, and you present these projects at um, an annual summer event. Um, but they teach you all kinds of life skills like interviewing and how to speak in public. And you get awards for doing these things, wow. baking, um, sewing, all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, but I think that opportunity not only allowed me to kind of like figure out who I am and kind of give me like different life skills. But I think also just the ability to travel. Um, we did get to. Um, every spring break, we would go to Gatlinburg, um, which is um, 
don't know if y'all are familiar with Gatlinburg, but mm. in Tennessee is like Mount, the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Um, it's like you go there and you can rent a cabin and hang out. Oh, um, but we got to go every summer for free just as long as we worked at the county fair where they would serve chickens every <laughs> every yeah. uh, chicken plates right. is what they would serve. <laughs> um, they had had their own little area. So with that, we were able to go to Gatlinburg. I was able to go to Washington, D.C. and just all kinds of things um, that I probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise um, just because our family, we weren't, I wouldn't say that we were in poverty, but we weren't always the best off. And so it did provide mm-hmm. us opportunities that um, we probably wouldn't have had um, otherwise. I did. I went to college. I went to the University of Tennessee at Martin. Okay. Um, and I started out as a nursing major, did not graduate a nursing major. Right. There you go. Um, but I would say that college is what kind of showed me who I am or kind of made me who I am even more. Mm. I remember a lot of times feeling, I don't know, like something was missing. So the college I went to was in a very rural area. Mm-hmm. Um, Walmart was like the only store that stayed open 24 hours. Walmart and McDonald's were the only two stores that stayed open 24 hours. Everything yeah. else closed at nine. The nearest mall was like 45 minutes away in either direction. So it was wow. just a very, it was just a very rural place. Mm, <laughs> um right. And although there were a lot of black students there, there weren't as many. It was a predominantly white institution. So a lot of times I was in spaces with um, mostly white people and even in some of the leadership opportunities that I did. Um, I just I don't know. It always felt like something was missing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think around that time, too, Trayvon Martin became a thing and like all of the police shootings and stuff were happening. Mm -hmm. And you were able to see it like on your phones. And it just it was a lot. And I think throughout all of that, I began to kind of want to know a little bit more about who I was as a person outside of my religion and outside of things I had been um, taught growing up and kind of figure out, like, what does it mean to be black, especially in a place where there's not many people like me. And I ended up joining the Black Student Association. I was able, thanks to the president at that time, to kind of have my own section in that organization. Um, We called it, like, the Black Lives Matter Committee or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had the first thing that we did was actually a talk. It wasn't a podcast, but it was a panel discussion. Um, I invited um, black students and some of the campus safety officers at the university to come and speak. And the room was packed out. Like people were like, I think people were just dying to like have like that conversation conversation, because prior to that, it was like we were in a bubble, like Mm -hmm. things were happening. We could see that they were happening, but nobody was talking about it. And so it was just great. And I think from there, I just kind of got the momentum to like, just continue to do things that I felt like students needed. I like saw that I had a platform. And so I would like set up meetings with the chancellor and be like, all right, the students are saying this, like we need this, we need that. And he was very receptive. I'm thankful to him for that. Um, And I worked with some other members in um, the black student association to kind of help make change um, on our campus. And Mm -hmm. I think when I decided to go to college um, for grad school, I think that's kind of what made me want to get involved. Um, I got my master's in higher education administration because of all the success that I had as a student leader um, Mm. in undergrad. Yeah. So, yeah, now I'm doing diversity work. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Basically, which is where I found my passion um, in college. Yeah. That's really cool. I want to go back a little bit to, because we'll get to a lot of those topics. I want to get back to as you're growing up, you know, you, you mentioned... Um, you know, you weren't in poverty by any means, but your family didn't have buku bucks or whatever it was. Can you think, uh, well, at that time, was your mother a single mother Mm -hmm. during that? At your base, a a lot of your youth, she was. Mm -hmm. So 
Can you think back to some of those times where maybe you're a teenager and you guys are going through those times? How do you feel like you got through a lot of those tough times? Was it was it going to the church and prayer or was it the organizations that you were so active in? Do you can you yeah. kind of touch on those things? Um, I think it was that, but I think also my mom she wasn't the type of person and still isn't the type of person that is like a woe is me type of person. And so a lot of times I don't even think I realized how bad off we were because my mom never showed that. Like when I tell you making a way out of no way, that woman like is so resourceful to the point that like, I'll never forget, for instance. So when we were younger, we went to the YMCA and they had like summer camps and things like that. There was one summer where it had gotten so expensive for her to um, pay for me to go that she asked the director at the time if I could volunteer as like a teen counselor so that I could still go to the summer camp. And they let me do it. And so um, they also allowed me to still kind of participate in like because there was like a teenage group. When they would go on, like, their trips and things like that, they would still allow me to go along with them if I was free. But, like, that's just one example of, like, how she was resourceful and kind of, like, didn't let what we were going through, what she was going through, affect us still being successful and having, like, opportunities. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really cool. I think that was (laughs) the biggest thing for me, and I think it just kind of shapes how I how I do things too yeah for sure probably well, without you even knowing yeah right <laughs> Absolutely. I want to ask I mean obviously from the time that you're actually going through it into now um, you've learned a lot mm-hmm. you know in between then I mean as you look back now and you really visualize how strong your mom was what can, what are some of the things that you've taken from her that you feel help you move forward in life today I think I say all the time definitely being resourceful just in the sense of like I may not always have the most money. I may not always, you know, have all of the nicest things, but I have connections. I know people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. just being in the right place at the right time or just knowing a certain person has, like, elevated me in ways that I wouldn't have even known. Um, Mm -hmm. I think about, for instance, earlier, you I was just sharing with you about a project we're doing, um, the We the Change project that we're doing with our Journey Scholars right now. And then you were telling me about an opportunity that y'all are doing and just... Yeah. Right there, like right. we've made made that connection. But I think just in general, knowing people, I think also there have been times where like when I was in undergrad, for instance, I worked as a resident assistant um, in the residence halls. And when I graduated undergrad, I was like, I don't know where the heck I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but because I had that experience, that in itself kind of provided me a place to stay. Um, when I got when I did go into grad school, um, I was able to be a graduate assistant. And so I worked, not only did I live in the residence hall on campus, but I worked there and they gave me free cable, free food, <laughs> free rent. Like right. I didn't have to do any of those things. Again, I didn't have the money, but I was able to do that because I had that skill set. Absolutely. So, those are the things that I think of, I guess, in regards to my mom. Absolutely. And I and the reason I asked for on that is because I grew up, as most of our viewers know, you know, I grew up in a black family, mm-hmm. then I grew up in an all white family yeah. and whatnot. And I noticed just as far as living with a single mother, um, and I know that she took on so much so much. She had multiple kids that weren't even hers. It was her her kids' kids, and she was taking on that role as a as a parent figure. But I felt like at, at sometimes I felt like I was like left out. And as a kid, it re, I resented that. But then as I grew up to where I'm at now and I look back, I'm like, dang. I mean, she was doing all that she could. I mean, in all her might, she she faked it until she she could make it. You know, she made mm-hmm. sure that 
that things that were possible for us were possible for us. But, yeah. you know, and, and there was so much time that I had so much like anger in between where I was just like, I was just nothing. You know, I, yeah. I just felt like I was just there, you know, um, and, and so much attention was given to other people when I felt like I wanted the attention. But then now as I continue to grow up, I figure out that I've learned so many things like and, and values and morals and um, really how to operate on a day-to-day basis just from living in that experience, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's huge. For sure. I tell my mom all the time, I don't see how she did it. And it's so funny because I think becoming an adult yourself helps you to humanize your parents. Seriously. For sure. Yeah. I remember like my first couple of weeks working at Augie, I was so tired. I didn't want to eat. All I wanted to do was lay down. And I was like, I don't know how you came home <laughs> and cooked dinner, helped us with our homework, ran us all over the city for all our extracurriculars. Like, I don't get it. I think at the time, like, I don't know, as a kid, we think adults have all the answers. So, of course, we give them a hard time when they mess up. But, like mm-hmm. I said, when you become an adult, right. it's a whole different It is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. you now you're the one that's supposed to be making it happen. <laughs> yeah. and it's, you know, but I think it's awesome, you know, though those qualities that you guys both receive from your upbringings. And a lot of people, you know, the, the struggle is what makes a lot of people, right? Absolutely. And that's what pushes a lot of people to never want their kids to experience what they went through and yeah. and all those types of things but some people being resourceful some people just want to accept no like i'm gonna do whatever it takes for me to get to where i need to be whether that's picking up another job and working that another job until i can do what i want to do or kind of humbling yourself and putting yourself in a position where you can grow and yeah i think that's really important i think that's a good thing for a lot of people to take away absolutely now, I want to lead into more of, you mentioned Trayvon Martin, um, and everything that we were seeing, it feels like for years and years, uh, you know, it didn't, it got to a point where it didn't even seem out of the ordinary, which is yeah. messed up, mm-hmm. right? And it really desensitizes us to what actually is happening. Right. When you think about that, you're in college, those things are going on, you mentioned being kind of in a bubble, what were those conversations like, if you can remember, when you were able to get into a room with so many people? And can you rem- can you tell us about how that Ooh, was? I can barely remember what I did yesterday, let alone <laughs> that long back. But I feel like at the time, we really just talked from, like, all the varying perspectives. I think we talked as black people ourselves. I also wanted the campus safety officers to speak from their perspectives, one of the officers was black, the other person was Hispanic. So one was speaking from the perspective of being black and being a police officer, and the mm. other was speaking just from being a police officer. And so it was great just to hear everybody's different um, viewpoints at that time, mm. yeah. especially because it was such a fresh thing. I think emotions were high. But yeah, just having the conversation was important because, like I said, like being in a space where like you're seeing this happening, but nobody's talking about it almost feels like is it really happening? Like, (laughs) it's like, it just, it was such a weird feeling at the time. But I think what actually pushed me to, to want to do something was Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. Like that was like the last straw for me. I think Trayvon Martin was when I started thinking like, okay, we kind of, we need to do something like this is not good. And then after those two, I was like, okay, um, I've had it. Like, I don't care right. <laughs> what's going on. I don't care, like, what organization I'm a part of. I, I thought about actually starting my own organization, but then the president of um, BSA at the time, she was like, okay, hold on now. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you can come over here with us, and then that's kind of how it started. But, yeah, I was just 
I was tired at that point. Right. Ready to fight. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. The reason I bring that up is because it was the same for us when, of course, when those were things were going on, but you know, I felt like it was really heightened during the George Floyd Mm -hmm. um, killing. Mm -hmm. And that was where I think this kind of spawned from this, this podcast really a part of it, at least of us in a group chat, arguing amongst our own friends and each other because we're all we're all mad and we all have our own perspectives on things but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day we all wanted the same thing and i think those conversations are important because like you were saying a lot of people don't have those tough conversations because they're tough and then it just kind of a few days go by and then you're back to your normal life and you know those names um they'll be remembered for a long time because i think that those things help unfortunately but fortunately spark a change yeah. amongst a generation of people and generations as they combined and, and march together but yeah I'm, I'm i'm glad that we haven't had to hear about a lot of that that's going on but it doesn't mean that it's not happening still, right yeah. you know Absolutely. so yeah I think it's important that we still continue to build those relationships and have conversations with people, even if we're not seeing it on the headlines right now, Absolutely. just so that we can continue to grow and, and just become a better community and, and country, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do have to ask a question just on that on that topic as well, just because um, you had mentioned that you had gotten, you know, mostly black student body and the officers together in one room. I just want to know, was there at any point in time that you guys had conversations with any of like the white students or any of the other students as well? So with that event, we got a mixture of students to come out um, and we actually teamed up with some of the professors to encourage their students to come as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, so that actually sparked like a slew of other events that we did. And we followed up um, around the time that President Trump, I can't remember if he had already been elected or if I think he had already been elected and he was in office. We actually had another panel where I invited um, black and white students to speak. And we talked about some of the things that were happening at the time and like how it feels and just controversial things that were being said and things like that. And so there was always opportunity for um, other students to speak as well. But I think it started out just with like the police brutality and kind of wanting yep. to know what the black students wanted to. Absolutely. How they were feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I definitely understand that just because, again, growing up in a black family, then growing up in the white, in a white family, I, I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, I got an understanding of both cultures mm-hmm. and and whatnot. But even further down the road, of course, when all these events were happening, I'm going back to my family and I'm discussing it and I'm, I want them to know exactly how I feel because how I feel is completely different than they feel because you know, when these events happen, you kind of, you feel attacked when you're, if you're black, you feel like you're being attacked. Mm-hmm. Now on the other end, as far as like anyone that's not black and they're not talking about it, I know that a lot of our friends felt like if they're not talking about it, then they're the issue. And I'm like, well, no, that's, that's not how it works there. It's on us to also to bring up these conversations and allow them to give them their opinion. Because I know that once they start to give their opinion, and if it wasn't asked from by one of us or anything, then all of a sudden 
then they're like, well, why, why are you even talking about this? You have no right to talk about yeah. this. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so it's such a, such a mixture of different feelings and different like anger and, and just too many emotions and whatnot. And, and I, I finally was able to realize it when my father-in-law, he had sat me down and not even sat down. We were sitting down as me and my father-in-law and my, my wife. And we sat down and he, he just comes out. He's like, listen, I have to ask a question and I don't want you to feel offended when I ask this question, but I really want to know. And I'm like, gosh, what does this have to do with? And he's like, can you tell me like your side and your opinion on everything that's going on? Because I want to understand. Yeah. And I'm like, well, shame on me for not even just sitting you down and asking you the exact same question. Yeah. Because it's on us to understand each other. That's how we become better humans. And that's how we become, you know, as that's how we take away from this fighting and the the blame and the it's on you. It's on you. It's on you. It's on us. It's on all of us, you know. Um, so that's why that's why, you know, that was a long description on no, why I asked that question. <laughs> but it's important. It's just very important for us to have these conversations yeah. uh, with everyone. So I agree. still for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So with you doing um, diversity, equity and inclusion here at Augustine University mm-hmm. and kind of the background that you had uh, with going to school down in Tennessee. What is the difference or is there a difference that you see when it comes to the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion in a place like Tennessee and then a place like Ooh. Sioux Falls? <laughs> I know it's a a, um, a big question. Yeah, uh, It's hard because I feel like in a lot of ways it's very similar, actually. I will say they are there are differences because Southern culture is obviously different than Midwestern culture, mm-hmm. um, which I will say Southern. I don't know coming to, coming to the Midwest has made me feel like when people say Southern hospitality is a real thing, like you talk about how nice Southerners are. I'm like, yeah, they were right, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but Seriously. in regards to like diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think there are a lot of similarities, especially when I compare like my college experience to the experience of the college students at Augustana. I feel sure. like I don't know. I just think that there is a, a lack of understanding all across the board when it comes to diversity. Sure. I think because diversity has become such this buzzword that people are, they get caught up more so on, oh, we have people of color in this space. We have people from this identity in this space. But the part of actually like making those people feel welcome, making them feel included is always lost upon mm. people. Mm. Um, and I felt the same way as a student at my undergrad. I love I loved that place for the opportunities that it gave me. But there were a lot of times where I was like, you have me here, but I don't feel like you want me here and I don't feel mm. appreciated by you. And I think that a lot of times, again, institutions will do all they can to bring people into a space, but they won't necessarily make them feel like they should be there because they're not offering them certain resources or, you know, things that people need to, to thrive in that in that space. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that was a tough question to kind of putting you on the spot. Like that, <laughs> no. so apologize about that. But. Like you're trying to get me fired. <laughs> no, no. The reason I asked, though, is just because of like kind of what you said. It is just different cultures. You yeah. know, down south is a different culture than it is here in South Dakota. And I mean, even in South Dakota, you're going to get different cultures depending on right. where you're at. Same mm-hmm. with same with Tennessee. So lack, I guess you could say, of diversity at a school like Augustana, was it similar to the school that you went to? 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um. So we had like three thousand students, if I'm not mistaken. I think they might have said five thousand, but that might have also been. We had a couple satellite campuses, so they might also sure. been including that. But when it comes to the racial makeup, I think we might have had more black students than Augustana, but it still was slim to none compared to the overall sure. number of um, white students on campus. Okay. Yeah. Is that something that they're wanting to bring in more diversity that oh, you're sure. aware of? Or yeah. like, can you That's talk about, <laughs> yeah, t- tell us about yeah. you, what you do with Augustana and kind of that role and kind yeah. of the purpose of it, I, I guess. Absolutely. So I am the assistant director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Augustana. Um, I work with Willette Capers, who is our assistant vice provost of DNI. Prior to me, she was like, a one woman <laughs> band. She was doing everything mm. by herself, which I'm I'm barely making it a lot of times. So I don't know how she did that. So <laughs> kudos to her. Um, but we basically work together to try to bring more diversity to Augustana. Um, she works with the faculty, staff, and administrators. Um, she works on the strategic plan and really just to try to bring more institutional change. Um, I work more with the students, so I do mm. a lot of recruiting. Um, I also run the Journey Scholars Program. Um, which is a program for domestic students of color. It is a scholarship program where we finance any unmet need the students have, but we also just try to give them a sense of community um, on the campus and also try to provide them with leadership skills to kind of just help them grow. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also over the affinity groups, and so that is Black Student Union, African Student Union, Asian Student Organization, La Union Hispania, Gender and Sexuality Alliance, Native American Student Association, and Augustana International Club. Wow. Um, and I basically just kind of oversee them and kind of give them um, any support that they need. Um, I plan programs and events for the university. We also have a diversity advocate certification um, course that will let um, crafted mm-hmm. that basically teaches people about different areas of diversity and how to be better advocates. And I teach the intersectionality part of it, mm-hmm. um, which basically brings all of our identities together and kind of show mm-hmm. how we can be discriminated against, but also how we can support people um, with varying identities. Yeah. I do a lot of things. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. <laughs> I also have my, we were talking about earlier, but my, it's not really a podcast it's a vlog it's a food vlog Mm -hmm. um cooking across cultures on the road where we go to different cultural restaurants in sioux falls um and learn about the culture learn about you know what inspired them to open the restaurant and we get to eat some good food which i love to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) but yeah we do a lot of stuff that's awesome was it what was that transition like as you started to actually engage with students once you got to, to sioux falls um, it was easy. I love students. Like I, I don't feel like an old lady myself. And so I like, I don't feel like it's easy to like, I mean, I don't feel like it's hard to like talk to students. I think my biggest struggle and what I think has been a lot of me trying to overcome imposter syndrome is like the being in front of my colleagues and other people and like having to teach like I hate teaching I don't like teaching at all I am more of an intimate conversation person I don't like like standing in front of people being the center of attention so I think that part of it is what has been the hardest but Mm -hmm. the students are probably like the easiest they they literally make my day when I like see them and I get to talk to them and interact with them yeah that's Mm -hmm. awesome Mm -hmm. that's good and I just want to ask more on the journey scholar program there just because we had the opportunity to sit in um, on one of the first meetings of uh-huh. for with Augustana this year. And when I came in there and I saw all these students come in, I'm just like, wow. I'm like, why doesn't University of South Dakota, why didn't they have something like this, you know? And and I, I'm sure there's plenty of universities that possibly do have it or they 
just don't have or they do have it and they don't talk in, mm-hmm. enough about it um, or they just don't have it. So I just want to know more about the Journey Scholar program that you guys provide. Yeah, I honestly cannot take all the credit. Um, Willette actually started the program, um, I think, five years ago. And I believe she said when she started it, like she had no idea what she was doing. She just knew she had a group of students and she needed to do something with them. Um, And I think the following year she ended up. Well, first of all, I think the first year there was. Somewhere between maybe like 20 something students, if that many, I think it might have been like 13 or something like that. I can't remember the exact number, Mm. but um, every year um, she's kind of just like made it better um, and kind of made it more specific to who who the group catered to. I think the first group, she said everybody was in there, white, black, whatever. It didn't matter. Everybody was in there. Then I think she said the second year she decided to cater it to students of color. And then every year she's kind of just like made it um, better. And then when I came in, I kind of helped her kind of figure out what type of programming to do and things like that. And so it it's just really grown. This year we have we have 48 students, which is the biggest wow. number we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and they're trying to get to 60 and I'm just like, "Oh man, <laughs> I'm excited, crazy. but right. I'm also like that is a lot of people." Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't think you guys are going to have an issue getting to that number. I don't either. Um, I yeah, I really Thank don't. You. I like even us just being there, I felt like so welcomed and like so like involved and I guarantee you that the kids that were there they felt the same exact thing you know um and and that's what people look for especially going into college and these are freshmen you know and freshmen sophomores and whatnot Mm -hmm. and they're they're vulnerable at that at that time they don't know exactly what they want to do in college quite yet um some of them don't even know if they truly want to be at college Mm -hmm. you know um, it's just something that they heard that that's something you're supposed to do after right. after high school. So they're mm-hmm. figuring themselves out and you guys are helping them um, combine with each other mm-hmm. to truly figure themselves out, which I think is great. You know, yeah. so. And at the same time, connect them to people in the community. Absolutely. You know, a lot of them may not even be from Sioux Falls or even from this area. So to have people come in, you know, CEOs of big companies were, were there to be support for these students. So I think it's really cool just to kind of bridge that gap for people and, you know, can continue to promote that D E and I and all that. Cause it was, it was really cool. I felt honored being there talking. Cause I'm like almost that imposter <laughs> syndrome. Is right. Like, yeah, we here. We here too. You see us. Yes. <laughs> you know and I think saying? that's important because I feel like a lot of things seem impossible until you see somebody like yourself that's doing it. And I think yeah. that was important for me when it came to like kind of putting things together in the program is like making sure that they know there are other students on this campus that are doing the same things that y'all might want to do. There are people in the community who look like you that are doing the things that you want to do and just yeah. kind of giving them that sense of hope. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, I have to ask, cause, and this is just a thought I'm thinking of now. When you were deciding who to bring to that or invite, why did you decide to invite us? I honestly was just thinking about all of the people that I had met in the community that I felt like were doing something positive. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times when people think success, they think people in suits. They think like all of these things that really can be success, but that's not success 
I guess, depending on how you look at it. They kind of put a monetary value behind it. And I think, like, if you're, with what you're doing with your podcast, you're reaching people, you're talking to people, like, you're giving a voice and a platform to people who may not always necessarily have that as people Mm -hmm. of color. And so I just kind of wanted them to see that there are different ways that you can use your voice. There are different ways that you can, you know, be impactful in the community. And I just wanted them to be introduced to more than just people in nice suits. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No, I, it was great. I was it really was. great. Our next question that I do have for you before we kind of get into our next part of our episode here is just going to be more of your, what you say you would say your day-to-day activities are, you know, kind of what exactly in Augustana, because most people are going to listen to this and they're like, D, D and I, you know, what is that? Of course, then they're going to Google it, figure out what it is. And they're going to try and figure out exactly what your role is on there. So I just want to know what exactly is your day to day activities there? Take us through a day of your life. That's right. hard because none, no day is the same. And I think that's what I love about my job so much. Like some days I'm at my desk all day typing emails. Some days I'm like out in the community um, just last week. I was in Minnesota for pretty much the whole week. Um, we went to a college fair. It was the Minnesota Association Counselors of Color. So the schools that we went to had high diversity rates. They had a diverse mm-hmm. um, number of students. And so that whole week we were bouncing around <laughs> Minnesota, going to different schools, telling them about oh, Augustana, cool. trying to get them to come there. I do a lot of planning for the events and things that I do. Um, Willette and I get to go to a lot of conferences. Yeah. Um, this December, I'm actually going to um, Amsterdam, London, and Paris. Oh. I am um, yeah, I'm so excited. I am leading a study abroad course in January of 2025 um, with another professor, Dr. Spencer Sorelli. And our course, I always forget the name. It's like <laughs> Black Joy, Thriving in Resistance and something. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Um, but the premise behind the course is that a lot of times when you think about like Black culture, you think about the struggle and you think about, you know, all the things that Black people have gone through, but you rarely talk about the success or the accomplishments. And so we want to highlight Black food, black hair, black fashion, black spirituality, just different wow. aspects of blackness. And not just from an American standpoint, but from various, mm. um, mm-hmm. like, for instance, Amsterdam has um, a high, like, Caribbean and African population. And so we want to highlight different aspects of blackness. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. And so I'm going in December to kind of plan that out, plan out what that looks like. Um, and so wow. I'm excited. So, yeah, none of my days are the same. That's <laughs> where, crazy. Where do you find the time for yourself? I mean, it seems like you're just, <laughs> you're always running around doing something, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you said, I still have to figure that out. When I, I shower? No. Right. <laughs> no, uh, really, but... <laughs> It just depends. I think Mm -hmm. some days I do get to the point to where I'm like, okay, I can't. And I think learning how to say no has been (laughs) the best thing for me because it used to be to the point to where I was just like, yes to everything. And it's not even just work related. Like Willette and I also, we have a lot of journey scholars that are on the football team and Mm -hmm. acro tumbling and all these other sports. And so we also go to support them. And so we're working all the time. And I think, like I said, Learning how, when, like, to listen to my body and learning to be like, all right, <laughs> we did a lot this week. Maybe we should just chill on the couch today. Right. Um, and Willette has been very um, great about allowing me to kind of, like, take days off. Or if I spend until 10 p.m. working this day, then maybe I don't have to come in as early the next day. And right. so there's a balance there. And that's, that's good. been really great, too. That's good. Yeah. That is. yeah. I'm sure just working in education 
those are long years. And you know, yeah. if you've never worked in a school or anything like that, them breaks that you get, I'm sure you're looking forward to those because it's yes. coming up, right? Yes. You said something about Thanksgiving and relaxing, and I'm just like, yes. Oh. Most, most times I'm thinking about the food, but this year I'm thinking about the relaxation. Will you get to go home? Do you get well, to go home very often? I'm choosing not to go home um, okay. this time around only because, well, I was supposed to, but my plans fell through. But sure. I think my sister coming to visit me soon or my mom somebody okay. nice. have they been to south dakota my mom has she's been twice my sister hasn't yet what does your mom think she likes it does she surprisingly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah only That's for awesome. only for the little time that she's here and then she's like, i'm going back yeah and she has right? to come when it's cold she only comes oh. when it's hot yeah. so. i don't blame her right. i don't blame her for that <laughs> Seriously, oh, that's awesome. yeah. you know, I, I've got one last question for you here. A little yeah. a little bit of a loaded question, um, but you work with quite a few students and I'm assuming that you, you know, getting to know them, you learn their background and you learn what their version of poverty is, you know, um, and, and how they handle it. What I want to ask for you is each individual that comes on, they have their own understanding of poverty and what it takes to overstep that. So what I want to know is when you hear overstepping poverty, what does that mean to you? Overstepping poverty to me is just like day to day steps that you take to make sure that you aren't in that place that you came from. Like we talked about earlier, um, when I think about overstepping poverty, I think about all of the different things that I have had to learn in regards to money and in regards to just staying afloat, trying not to repeat some pa- some of the patterns that I um, have seen others do and just really trying to make sure that I stay in a good place. Um, I, when I think overstepping poverty, I think this is like a day to day, like every day I am running away from <laughs> my, where I could be if I don't, you know, make mm. a conscious effort to, yeah. you know, take the right steps or make the right moves. I love that. I really like that. That is. Yeah. I that's really, one of the, my opinion, that's one of the best examples I think. Yeah. You know, well, thank you. Because well, yes. it is like, and it really hit me when you were like, you know, those day to day steps that you take to not be where you could be. Mm-hmm. I think that's big because it's easy to just let things slip, especially when things aren't going your way and you just kind of fall into a rut. Yeah. It's hard a lot of times for people to get out of those ruts. So it's like small steps every single day to get to where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's move on to our next part of our episode here. This is what we call as round table. Uh, Many people, I mean, when they're sitting in that seat and we're just firing questions at them, (laughs) I know that they're like, when do I get to ask? When do I get to ask? So now's your chance to ask us some questions as well. So, so I just want to know first a little bit more about you all. Like, I know I've met y'all in the community and things like that, but I want to know, like, who you are, where you come from, and we'll start there before. I- Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm actually born in Des Moines, Iowa. I moved here as a young kid. I was in the foster uh, care system. I was in the foster care system actually with my sister. So everywhere that we, like, that she went initially as far as in the foster care system, I was with her. Um, and then finally there was a point in time that we were separated and probably like one of the most traumatic parts of my life. Cause that was my only family, um, at the time. And then eventually 
um, I was adopted and I came to this family and guess what? My sister was adopted there too. And so when we were adopted there, we were adopted into a family of brothers and sisters. And at that time I had some half brothers and sisters who were also in the foster care system. And what do you know? They were adopted by the sister part of the family. So um, my brother and sister became my cousin at the time. So a little bit of background of how exactly I got to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, And just, I guess, more on just myself. uh, In sales, love sales, kind of grew up into always talking with people, always uh, being trying to be the life of the party or the class clown and whatnot. That was kind of my motto and whatnot. But then I kind of figured out how to turn that into more of a positive way and interacting with people. And that's how we became and we made this podcast here. Um, So instead of (laughs) sitting and, you know, making jokes and whatnot or not doing what I can to help the community. We figured out a, a good way how we can truly help to inspire people within our community. And that's what overstepping poverty uh, is about. And so this is how we pretty much got here today with Zacchaeus and I, um, I met him in college, you know, and uh, yeah. And, and ever, and ever since then um, we've been kind of hip by hip, you know, and, and we've, we've discussed plenty of business ideas, this was more of a, a hobby that turned into a business that also turned into, okay, well, I don't want it to all be about the money side of things. I want it to be about more of the people that we have on and whatnot. So that's how we figure out how we can give back to the community. And there's other branches of our of our business that we can, of course, um, I mean, because everyone has to eat still, you know, yeah. so, but yeah, now we're here. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> My turn. Um <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Quan. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I guess for me, I, I'm actually from Sioux Falls. I was born in Sioux Falls. My family moved to Las Vegas, Nevada in like 2003, 2004. So um, I have two siblings. Obviously, you know my brother. He's a journey scholar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we grew up, I grew up between here and Las Vegas, would always come back and forth in the summers. Um, and then in 2009, 2010, the market crashed and both of my parents got laid off. The house that we were renting out of, um, landlord wasn't paying the mortgage. So the home got foreclosed mm-hmm. all bad. And we ended up moving back here to Sioux Falls. And so I've been here, um, ever since that was like 2010. So I was gone for about eight, nine years and yeah, went to school at O'Gorman, uh, for my junior and senior year. That was a crazy experience going from, you know, a public school in Las Vegas to a private Catholic school here in Sioux Falls. The biggest culture shock I ever experienced in my life. I remember walking into my first class. It was chemistry. The floors are like that white tile with all the science tables, everybody wearing polo khakis and the same color shoes. I'm like, what the hell <laughs> did I decide to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was its own experience. That was an interesting experience as well. I, I value that time. And from there, went to USD, met Daquan, uh, skipped a lot of class with Daquan, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that we like you said, we were always together. We were always doing things together. We were always, I don't know, like brothers. And so, yeah. Graduated, started working with at-risk youth at uh, what's called Summit Oaks with the Quan actually, mm-hmm. and that was kids you know from 11 to 18 that were whether you know maybe they were in the system already or parents placed them there, but they were dealing with you know suicidal thought, just a lot of challenges. 
um, and they live there. So we were with them, you know, a lot. And that was a crazy experience as well. Uh, we actually both decided to leave that place, and we actually both went to Wells Fargo together. We worked <laughs> at Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of crazy. But, yeah, so that's kind of how um, – I grew up, I was in, I got sick of working in the school district. I, I wasn't really making anything. And it was around the time, um, I think it was the George Floyd time, mm-hmm. uh, when that was happening, I'm working in the school district. I'm making like $1,600 a month. Mm-hmm. I ain't making nothing. And they're paying me once a month. And I'm like, you know, I'm my wife and I think about building the family. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do this on $1,600 a month. And so I, the George Floyd thing was going on and we had those marches, uh, you know, so many had happened that we kind of talked about and it was like, we got like, what else can I do? And it sounds silly. Uh, but my mind was like, well, we need to start teaching our people about like life insurance. And if they're going to be unfortunately killing us or whatever, the hope is that, that, you know, at least there's something to help, the family that we're leaving behind or the generation you're leaving behind. So that was kind of my idea. Got into working with life insurance and realized there's no, really nobody that's serving the black or brown community at all when it comes to those things. And it just kind of all started to build from there, got into doing mortgage and I don't know, got in front of a camera and we're finally here, which is, (laughs) which is crazy. But yeah, I'm a big family person. I coach football. I love to be with my family and, I just want to see a better community really Mm -hmm. with all of this. I want to connect people more. I feel like there's so much negativity that we see everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I don't even really watch the news anymore because I, I just can't, you know, and it's like, we can press, we can push this type of stuff, you know, and like real conversations with real people. It doesn't have to be groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's just getting a perspective of like, Oh, Tyra, I watched the episode on Tyra. She's at Augustana and she's doing all these things. That's so cool. And then maybe they'll be like, Hey, I've seen you before. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, uh, builds connections with people. So Absolutely. yeah, long answer for both. Of us, <laughs> no, you're good. So why the name overstepping poverty? Like what about what you're doing kind of like fits under that? Absolutely. So it's, it's quite simple, actually, the way that it was thought out. And that's because in any situation when someone hears poverty, the first thing that they think think of is, like, broke. You don't have any money. You live in a broken down neighborhood, the, you know, house, whatever. You know, usually that's, like, the first thing they think of is poverty. Well, in my mindset, I think poverty goes way beyond that in our mindset, truthfully. It goes far beyond that. And what it what it entails is is it's more of how's your mindset you know how's your day-to-day living what are you doing to make your situation better and not only your situation what are you doing to make whoever's following behind you better for them as well you know how's your physical and mental health you know it's all these things you can have all you can be living in poverty and not even know it there's people who have all the money in the world but i promise you that they probably have poverty mindset as well because the only thing that they're thinking about is how am i going to get the next dollar you know, and that's a poverty mindset in my, in my mind, you know, um, and, and, and the nice thing about it is, is poverty. I truly think that it is, it's opinionated to each and every individual. So that's why every single person we have on here, we ask them, you know, what does overstepping poverty mean to you? 
you know, because it's more personalized to you because it, how you think of what poverty is and what I think of poverty is, it can be completely different. But I know that when you give that answer, someone else who's listening or, or watching this, they're going to be like, wow, you know what? Poverty means the exact same thing to me. And I see what you're doing and how you're staying afloat and how you're bettering yourself and how you're bettering your community. I could do those exact same things, you know? And so that's kind of how overstepping poverty was built on there. How are you taking the next step in over, you know, in poverty, overstepping poverty? Yeah. And I hated the name, to be honest, uh, when he when Daquan first said it. And I'm like, no, I don't want the name uh, or the word poverty attached to our business. I mean, it's like I I just didn't like it. And I went home and he was like, dude, no, like, think about it. And I was like, "Okay." Mm -hmm. I started to think about it. And um, somebody I listened to a lot, especially when I was like first getting into like self-development was Bob Proctor. And I don't know if you know who that is, but. I suggest you check him out. He's an old white man on YouTube and he, but he has like gold information like, and it's all about how it's all in your mind. Right. So like he'll, someone will say to him, like I'm broke or I'm poor. He's like, you're not broke. You're rich. You're just short of money. And it's like the same aspect of you of being resourceful. It's like, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. You might not even know how bad your situation is. All you know is you need to move forward. Right. And I think a lot of times what I see um, when I talk with people or hear people talking about like why they haven't been able to do the things that they want to do and and get to the places that they want to get. A lot of times it's always pointed outwards on like what's holding them back instead of like looking at themselves and understanding that, you know, our lives are the way they are a lot of times, especially as you're growing up as an adult your life is the way you are or it is because of the things that you're doing the thing or the things that you're not doing. When we talk about mental health and we talk about lifting as we climb, bringing the people up with us, like as we grow, we want to bring people with us. And I think it's, uh, it's easy to look at like overstepping poverty of the name and think of one thing or whatever, but I think it's so much bigger. Like it's yeah. a huge picture to where like the things that we're doing or maybe we're talking about right now, we might not even know who it's going to help or how yeah, it's going to help somebody, absolutely. but maybe it will help them take that step and just move forward. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's subjective to everybody, but that's really kind of where it comes from for, for me and for Daquan, I would say. It's interesting you say that because I've been struggling to kind of instill that in my students. I'm finding that a lot of, and I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but a lot of the students I encounter have this like, sit around and wait mindset where it's like they're thinking that things are going to come to them or it's like, oh, well, I can't because of this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, aside from that, like what can you do to change this thing? And it's like, it's not clicking for them. And I I don't know what to say to kind of push them forward. Um, All I can think about is how I was when I was younger. And I never thought that I would turn into the back in my day type (laughs) of person, but I don't know. I just, I don't know if like the drive that I experienced, especially like I said, when I was in college, just in life in general, that it's like, I don't have this, but I do have this and I can use that. I don't know if that's like something that is innate. Yeah. Can it be taught? Like, and if, if it can be like, how do you teach that to somebody? You right. Know? You know, and, and that's something that can be taught, but at the end of the day, if a person does not want to do something, they're not going to do it. You can't make mm-hmm. them do anything. So yeah. you can give 
anyone, the, you know, all the information in the world, but at the end of the day, how they utilize it is completely up to them, yeah, you know, but sure. one thing that you'll see is as you continue to teach and you continue to preach, you know, how to do better for themselves, it may not click right away, but then all of a sudden three years down the road, you'll see them and they're like, Tyra, you remember that one time that you told me this? You know what I'm saying? I'm serious. Like, you remember that one time you said this? And and I know I probably sat there and you probably looked at me like, like, what are you going to do? But listen, like, it, it finally resonated. And and right. everything that you said, it, it, it helped me and it gave me the push. And it all makes sense now. But mm-hmm. that's what it is. It, it takes time for them to really click. And sometimes what happens is, is there it has to be a negative situation. You know, because most of these people are waiting for these things to come to them. Well, they're going to surely realize that if you want something in life, you have to go out and get it, yeah. period. Yeah. And if you continue to wait then and nothing's going to come, then all of a sudden you're going to have that poor me attitude. And then when you're really at your low, that's when truly that inner that inner grit, that mm-hmm. that no matter what, that dog that I'm, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight no matter what. Yeah. Like I that's when that comes out and it brings out an entirely different person. And and then you become Daquan Brooks. <laughs> Seriously. Face, face Seriously. Ass. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's how that's how that's how it went. I would just told my whole story. Right. I don't even got anything to say right. after that. <laughs> I do think that talking about those students, I think that is what it takes though. I think it is for them to like hit a point where like oh, it's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Like they actually gotta hit that moment and I think that's something like from your perspective now you're able to look at it and you're like, I try to tell you right. type of thing. And you'll have those moments, but we didn't listen either. I know nope. at least I didn't because I sure would have been going to class. Like I said, I was going <laughs> to, like I said, I mean, I had a breaking point where I was just like, that's it. Like either I'm going to do something with my life. Or otherwise I'm just going to continue to sulk and mm-hmm. keep, keep living in the, and the, oh, I went through this, I went through this, and this happened to me. Well, guess what? I can continue to live in that. That's not going to do anything for me, period. It's not going to move me forward. It's me. Yeah. It's it's all me. You're your right. biggest enemy. You're your biggest roadblock. Mm-hmm. So for Every those time. of that that are listening, though it sounded like a joke, I'm just telling you, you're <laughs> going to have your moment uh, eventually where it's like, it's a wake-up call, and you'll, you'll understand. You'll understand exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's real. Do you have any other questions for us? Off the top of my head. Okay. Well, then here's what we're going to do here. We're going to move into the last part of our episode here where we ask you to give our viewers and listeners five tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. Okay. Well, I put them in my phone because I was trying to like think of them. (laughs) Okay. So the first one I have is save. (laughs) I put save, 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 and the letters keep getting capitalized every time. But if I knew how expensive (laughs) the world would be, I probably would have started saving when I was, like, two. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Only because, like I said, everything is so expensive. And I think a lot of times we have this mindset of, like, oh, I can spend this. I'll make the money back. But then... Once the money is gone, I know there have been a couple times where I was like, dang, if I would have kept that money that so-and-so gave me, if I would have kept this or kept that, I would have this much right now. So I would mm-hmm. say one would be save. Two, educate yourself about budgeting, investing, stocks, all of that. Um, I didn't learn about all of that stuff until I got to grad school. I went to um, 
was it called? A conference. And they were teaching about money skills and credit cards and things like that. Um, when I was in high school, we did like a six-week course mm. over money and things like that. But nobody's thinking about that type of stuff mm-hmm. in high school. And then for six right. weeks, that's not like enough time to really instill it in you. So I would say if you can educate yourself on budgeting, investing, all that stuff, it will help you and your money will go so much further. Um, Spend wisely. And I said, you don't need a new outfit for every event. This is Mm -hmm. speaking to myself, talking about overstepping poverty each and every day. I have to tell myself, I don't need a new outfit for every event. You can mix and match. Mm -hmm. Um, DIY is also my best friend. Like, you like to look nice, but a lot of times things are expensive, especially if you're like me. You like to get your lashes done, your nails done. DIY is cool sometimes. Yeah. Um, number four, be resourceful. Um, use what you have to get to where you want to go. Um, networking is huge. Knowing the right people can get you a lot further sometimes than any money will. Skills and talents. Use your skills to your advantage. There's always opportunities out there. Um, There are programs that people offer that will pay for you to do things. There are grants. Google it. I'm sure there's something out there for you. Um, And then the last one is take risks. And I say that because a lot of times people ask me, like like y'all did, like how I got to South Dakota. And I remember in that time, I was, like I said, working as an RA, so I didn't have to pay bills. I didn't have to worry about my food or anything like that. And taking this job meant that I would have had to find my own apartment. I would have started having to pay bills and things like that. And in the back of my mind, the whole time I was like, if I take this leap to do the thing that it is that I really want to do, am I going to be able to sustain myself? Mm -hmm. Like, I've never had these responsibilities before. Um, And again, I told y'all I was down to two jobs. The other job would have been me working in housing in the city of my dreams, but I would have been working in housing, which is not what I wanted to be doing with my life. And so I took the leap and it worked out, thankfully. But I say, like, if I would have gone with what was safest, Yes, I would have been living in the city of my dreams. Yes, my my living would have been paid for, but I would have been miserable because I wouldn't be doing the thing that I'm most passionate about, which right. is diversity work. So take risks. You never know where it'll take you. Absolutely. Those are great. Those are. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to have you. It's always great to be able to collaborate with you, and I'm sure there's more down the road for us. There absolutely is. And if you go to Augustana and you see Tyra um, (laughs) and you've heard this episode here, definitely ask about all the things that she's doing to help her community and maybe even see how you can be involved, um, especially when it comes to DE&I, whether it's the Journey Scholar Program or the countless other things that she is involved (laughs) in. Just make sure you have some time so she can share with you all that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, no, we we greatly appreciate you coming on to our podcast here. And we definitely see many other events and things that we can also combine with each other with to ensure that the community is bettering themselves. So yeah, thank, thank y'all you. so much for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, until next time, we'll see you guys next week on Overstepping Poverty. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.